Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. I did not grow up here in Toledo. I grew up on the other side of the state, so I'm not from Northwest Ohio. But all my life I had heard this phrase, and I don't know that I truly understood where it came from, but it's this exclamation that people sometimes make of surprise or excitement. Have you ever heard anyone say, holy Toledo? Have you ever heard that? Have you heard it? Yeah. I mean, I didn't know what it meant, but I said it, and then I moved here. It was awesome. (laughs) Why us? Isn't that interesting? Of all the places, it's us. So I decided I want to figure out why, why do we say holy Toledo? And so I went to the source of all things good and true, the internet, and I looked. There's a lot, people really don't, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why people say this, the origins, you know, that they say why it is. The two that come up the most. The one is that there was somebody that came like in the early 1900s and was traveling down Collingwood Boulevard and saw all the churches that were along there and their exclamation was, holy Toledo. So that's one way they say it started. Another is that it goes back to, um, that it goes back to Toledo, Spain, which in the 1600s became a center for Christianity and it was known as the holy city of Toledo. And so that they say that those may be reasons. There's a bunch of other ones that go back to like uh, Danny Kay and other people. You've, you've got these different stories. It's just interesting though, of all the places on the planet, we get to be it. You've never heard anyone say, holy Memphis. Have you heard that? Right? No one's ever gonna say, holy Las Vegas. They don't say it. What do you say? Holy Toledo. That's us. Congratulations. Well, what does it mean? That word holy. If you and I are gonna be followers of Jesus Christ, and we gotta think about this, because that word holy is used a lot in scripture. If we're gonna think about it, what does it mean truly if we're gonna be holy in Toledo? If we're gonna live a life that is holy, what does that mean? It's a concept that even though we read it in scripture, I don't know that we're real familiar with it. So let me see if I can can maybe kind of help you to to figure it out. You you saw in that video some footage from our fall carnival yesterday, which was awesome. Our volunteers, Lindsay Jordan and her team just did a phenomenal job. It It was a great day. And I watched parents as their children were getting bags of candy with a strategy in mind. Step one, get these kids out of here. Step two, get these kids to take a nap. Step three, sort through the candy while the kids are napping. (laughs) Step four, keep the good candy for myself. (laughs) Right, why? Because some of that is that cheap candy. Some of that's that stuff, you're like, the kids don't know the difference, but it's it's just not that, it's just not. Some of it is the good chocolate, amen? Right? And the thought is, if I can pull out the good stuff for myself, there's a blessing in that, brothers and sisters. Right, right? Holiness has to do with the good stuff. We have, and you, you may have this at your house, we have two sets of silverware at our house. We have the stuff I use, and then we have the good stuff, the stuff we'd use if you came over. Anybody else? I mean, there's certain things that you set apart. Not that it's any better, 
I mean, it may have some more value. It's not like it's superior, but somehow you've set that aside and you say, this, this has special purpose. This has special value. I have some clothes like that. I have some things that I wear that I only wear kind of at special occasions. You may have a room like that in your house or some furniture that you're only allowed to sit in if you're clean and it's the holidays, right? There's those times. Some of you, some of you have a car that you have for kind of a special purpose. That's what it means to be holy. If you read through the Old Testament and you see how God called the nation of Israel his holy people, there were certain things that he had in the tabernacle and in the temple that were holy unto the Lord. These were things that weren't common, they weren't ordinary, they were the good stuff. They were set aside for a specific purpose. Let me, let me give you a definition for the word holy today. Here's, here's kind of a definition for this word. Holy means this, that it's set apart from ordinary or evil use and devoted to glorifying God. That it's set apart, it's used for something special. Set apart from evil or ordinary use and devoted to glorifying God. And whether you realize this or not, you are not normal. Some of you just looked at the person sitting next to you and went amen, amen. You're not ordinary. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's called you to be set apart. He's called you to be holy. Now the Bible uses this word a lot, right? It, in fact, what you'll find is that beginning with verse 13, that's where we're gonna start in 1 Peter chapter one, beginning with verse 13, and all through this book, he has as one of his major themes this idea that you've been called to be holy, that he's called you to be set apart. Remember who Peter's writing to. Remember, we're calling this series Exiled, and here's the reason why. Because he calls the people he writes to, in verse one, he says, you are exiles. He says, look, you are living in a place where you do not belong. You're different from the world around you. Although you live here, your citizenship is in heaven. You belong to God, not to this world. That means you're an exile, and as an exile, it means you're different, that you're set apart, that you're called, and you get to this in, in verse 15, in fact, remember our homework for this week was to read 1 Peter chapter one, right? So for this next week, your homework, <laughs> you're not getting let off the hook that easy, your homework this next week is chapter two because that's where we'll dive into next week when we get to chapter two. And in chapter one, when you get to verse 15, Peter says this very clearly. He says, you must be holy. In fact, he shifts gears here because when you, when you read through the first 12 verses, he's really very encouraging a lot of theology. He says, look, this is what Jesus has done for you. But then he shifts his tone to the imperative in verse 13. And in verse 13, he says, now, I know you're struggling, and I know you're suffering, and I know that life's not easy, and I know that everything's not the way you thought it would be, and I know that sometimes you go, is this faith even worth living? And is my commitment to Jesus Christ, does it have the value that I think it does? Is my life really gonna have any difference because of this? And he says to them, don't you give up. You have been called to something different. He calls them to live in a new way. And so today we're gonna talk about this idea of holiness. And remember where we landed last week, that there's this, this key principle that I think we'll see all through this series, that the faith we live out will separate us from the world we live in. It makes us different. The faith we live out will separate us from the world we live in. So he's writing to them about their choices. He's writing to them about their decisions. He's saying, look, the way that you live, the things that you do, they make a difference. Now look, when we talk about holiness, you cannot be holy without God. Remember verse two, 1 Peter chapter one, verse two? 
talks about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That's what's pictured in water baptism. How when we come up out of the water, excuse me, it's the symbolism that we have been made clean, that we have received his forgiveness, that he has washed our sins away. That's the idea. You cannot be holy without God, but you will not be holy without you. At some point you have to choose. I'm gonna live a life of holiness. Holiness means that I realize that my life has a great purpose. A purpose that's greater than the call of this culture or the desire I have for pleasure. It's about me living for God and representing him in all that I do. So today I wanna talk to those of you who are looking to live a holy life. Those of you who are looking to live a holy life, it's what God has called us to. And I'm using this word look in a very deliberate way. Because where you look determines the direction that you go in. Isn't that true? What you put your attention on, where you set your sights, will determine where you go, how you end up. I want to challenge you, what directions are you looking in? So we're going to go through verses 13 through 16, and we're going to unpack these a little bit. What you'll see here is, I think, five different directions that Peter challenges us to look in. Where our attention should be, how we should be living our life, and in doing that, how we can live a life that is <clears throat> excuse me, holy unto God. The first thing that we'll see is this. Number one, the direction we should look. Number one, we need to look back. The first thing that he challenges us to do is to look back. Let me show you what I mean. First Peter chapter one, beginning with verse 13. Therefore, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Really important word in that verse is the very first word, therefore. Not a professor in Bible college who used to say to us, whenever you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it therefore? Like, why is it there? Because for some reason, it's pointing you back to something you already read. And so you can look at this and see Peter says therefore because he wants them to see that what he's about to tell them to do matters because of what he's already said to them. So what has he said to them? Look at verse three of First Peter chapter one. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's saying, look at the wonderful salvation that you have. Look at what God's done for you. He says, don't take this for granted. And from verse three on, he just starts talking to them about it, mapping it out for them, till he gets to verse 12, where he's talking about how the salvation that's come to them is something that hundreds of years before this, the Old Testament prophets had been talking about. Look at verse 12. He says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Peter says to them, you know that gospel message we gave you? You know that salvation you've received? Even heaven itself says, wow, what is that? It's amazing. Why are we holy? He calls them to be holy because of what God has done for them. He says, look, because of everything that Jesus did for you, therefore, you should live for him. Because of what God has done in the past, I will live my life for him in the future. 
because of what God has done in the past, I will live my life for him in the future. Think about it, isn't that what relationship is all about? If you, if you honor your parents, then it's gonna affect the way that you treat them. If you respect your employer, it has an impact on your work, isn't that true? When you take time to be thankful for your spouse, it strengthens that relationship. But when you take your friendships for granted, it has a detrimental effect on those. If I'm truly grateful, if I truly respect and appreciate you, then it's gonna be shown in my relationship with you. So for some of us, temptation keeps coming and pounding on our door. And we see these same things over and over again. And oftentimes we feel like we're alone or helpless in the midst of those situations. Maybe, what if instead of giving in to that temptation, we decided that we wanted to live in a way that was different, that was separate, that was holy. And in doing that, we realize we're not alone, but God is with us. And we remember what he's done for us. Don't you think that would change the way we view temptation when it comes to us? Now we'll talk about temptation quite a bit today because it's, it's kind of the opponent of holiness, isn't it? And so it's key for us, if we're gonna live a holy life, where do we look? First thing is that we have to look back and remember what God has done. The second thing that I'm gonna challenge you to do is to look out. Number two, you need to look out. Here's the reason why. Because in your quest for holiness, temptation's gonna show up at your door, true? Look at what Peter says again. First Peter chapter one, verse 13. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Isn't that an interesting phrase? He says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. What he's saying here, he says, I'm warning you, you better be ready because if you're gonna be holy, you're gonna have to deal with temptation because it's gonna come face to face with you and you need to be ready for that. So, some other Bible translations, like the, the ESV, the English Standard Version, uses wording that says, prepare your minds for action with minds that are alert. Prepare your minds for action. The King James Version, if you're familiar with it, here's how it says this verse. Gird up the loins of your mind. How many of you said that just this last week? Excuse me, honey, I'm gonna take a moment and gird up the loins of my mind. We don't talk like that. We don't use that kind of terminology anymore. But there's a powerful truth that's here. Here's what Peter's saying. Look, temptation is gonna come your way, so look out. Be ready for it. It'll get you if it catches you off guard. But if you're ready for it in your mind, then that could lead to spiritual victory. Spiritual victory is won in the battlefield of the mind. This is huge because for some of us, the reason we keep feeling defeated or struggling or challenged in our spiritual walk and in other aspects of our lives is not because of what's happening to us in the moment, it's because we already lost the war between our ears. Does that make sense? Spiritual victory is won in the battlefield of the mind. That's why the King James Version says, gird up your loins of your mind. Doesn't mean much for us was a powerful picture in the first century in the New Testament. I've invited my friend Pete to come up here and help me. He volunteered because I told him he did. So Pete, if you, if the stairs are right over here, Pete, if you don't mind coming up here, and I wanna show you just this, this picture 
that I that I think you know can can help us. No, if you want to jump and you know impress us all, but you can just use the stairs if you want. Either way is good. So so I want to show you this this kind of this picture, Lisa. You may want to have your camera ready. That's good. Okay. So so here's here's what we're gonna do. Pete, I'll have you stand just kind of right over here for me, if you would, please. And uh, I'm gonna have you put on this this little dress. I mean robe. I'm gonna have you put on this robe. This is genuine first century polyester. Okay, so it smells like it, thanks. So, okay, so Pete, if you'll put that on, and, and kind of what I wanna give to you is a picture of what a garment might have looked like in the first century. So typically, they would have worn um, kind of, a, kind of a, 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 a garment like this, and then they'd have a cloak that would go with it. Um, well, yeah, and I don't know how the last guy folded it up there. Yeah, you're good, man. That color makes your eyes pop. You're doing great, yeah. You're doing, you're doing great here. Okay, so go ahead and, and uh, kind of make yourself presentable there. Okay, cool, and then, and then I'll, I'll put this little, uh, this little cloak on you here. This is good, all right. So you kind of got this garment happening, and then Pete, I'm gonna have you put this hat on. The hat has incredible spiritual significance in that I just wanted to see you wear it. That's awesome, okay. And then, and then this is your belt. So can you kind of just round your waist there, get yourself... Uh, there you go. All right. So you would have had you would have had a garment like this. Now remember again what the King James version said. It said gird up the loins of your mind. Here's the image why. If someone is wearing a garment like this and this would just kind of be a a, a typical traditional <laughs> You're, make, you're making it work, yeah, thanks. Um, a typical traditional look in the first century. Come up here where people can see you. If you had to go out into battle you would struggle because it's tough to fight in a dress, isn't it? Okay, so what they would do so that they could run, so that they could move, so they'd be ready for action, is they would take the robe and they would kind of bunch it up and tuck it into their belt. Now be modest here, but um, yeah, try to, try to, can you, and I'm not even exactly sure how they did it. It's a good look for you, Pete. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm glad it's comfortable. It's, it's yours. Um, I just need it for five o'clock, that's it, yeah. So um, they would do that. See, now there's more mobility. Now he's ready to fight. Now he's ready to run and attack and stand his ground. Whereas before he would get tripped up in that, he has girded up his loins. This is the picture here, prepare for action. So when the King James Version says, and the original Greek says, gird up the loins of your mind, what it's saying is, don't just wait till the battle comes. You need to make your mind ready so that you can be victorious. Does that make sense? Awesome, Pete, fine work. Would you give Pete a big hand? Yeah, you're the man, you're the man. You're welcome to wear that until five o'clock. So uh, here's the key. We must make ourselves ready for spiritual action. If you wanna be holy, if you wanna win the battle against temptation, you can't wait till it's knocking on your door. You need to be ready for what may come your way. We must make ourselves ready for spiritual action. This is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter six, you need to put on the full armor of God so that when that day of testing comes, you're ready. For some of us, it's something we need to do every morning and say, God, I prepare myself for the struggle or the challenge or the suffering or what's gonna come my way because we face these things and they get the best of us when we're not ready for them. One commentator that I read said it this way, kind of a loose paraphrase or translation. He said, sometimes you've just gotta pull yourself together. You ever been there? I am, most times before I step up on this platform, all right, Chad, pull yourself together here. Get ready. Some of us 
the most important thing that you can do today for victory, to find holiness in your life, it may be time for you to pull yourself together because that same challenge, that same frustration, that same disappointment, that same temptation keeps coming to you and you find yourself defeated or struggling with it over and over and over again. That same worry or fear or lust or anger or that poor self-image or that loneliness or peer pressure or despair or lies or bitterness or jealousy, the list goes on and on, doesn't it? That same thing keeps coming your way. And we shouldn't be surprised by this onslaught Instead, we should be preparing our minds for action. But somehow we drop our guard and it catches us off guard. The truth is, the reality is this. I can't ever think of a time in my life when I've given in temptation, into temptation and then said, boy, was I thinking right. <laughs> Prepare your minds for action. In a way, Peter says, that is fully sober. Now there's this connotation there, and wrapped up in this is the idea of, of not being drunk, of, of, not, of not giving in to alcohol. But it goes deeper than that. What he's saying is, don't think in a way like you're intoxicated. Make sense of what you're thinking. Think clearly. Think in a way where your mind is fully sober. We, we did a series a couple of years ago called Mind Games, where we took about four weeks and we just talked about the way that we should think. And it's so significant, and this is what we talked about just a minute ago. Spiritual victory is won in the battlefield of your mind. This is why Paul says to us in Colossians chapter three, verses two and three, he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Here's what he's saying, right thinking leads to right action. If you wanna do the right things, then you need to think in the right way. Look out, because temptation's gonna come, but right thinking leads to right action. Well, how do I think right, Chad? Well, that's why it's important for us to pray. That's why it's important for us to be in God's word. That's why it's important for us to, to go to a grow group and, and, and learn about God's word, to be in a connect group where we have friends that we can be accountable with. It's, it's important for us, and some of us, the most important thing that you can hear today, if you're gonna be victorious in this, is you have got to pull yourself together. Amen. The psalmist had to do this repeatedly. If you read through the Psalms, this, this same phrase is there two or three different times. Psalm 42, verse five. The psalmist says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Does anybody, anybody freak out when you see somebody talking to themselves? Like I look for the Bluetooth, right? You know, hopefully they've got the Bluetooth. If the Bluetooth's not there, I get as far away as I can. Here's the truth. Some of you need to talk to yourself just like the psalmist did, Psalm 42, verse five. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. Now, I don't know what his story was. I just know that he was down and he was despairing and it was getting the best of him because he was listening to his emotions. He was listening to his circumstances. He was letting the things that were happening inside of him speak to him. And you know what he had to do? He had to shift gears on that. He had to stop listening to himself and start speaking to himself. 
And he had to say, look, why am I like this? My hope is in God. Sometimes we need to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. Do you see the difference? And for some of us, this is what Peter's talking about. He's saying, look, you have been called to a greater purpose. Your life is different than just the common and ordinary. I've called you to glorify me, so you better look out, because temptation's gonna come your way, and when it does, you need to stop listening to yourself. Start talking to yourself. This, this was the point of what we said in this series a couple of years ago. We must think about our thinking and be mindful of our minds. Peter says, look out, make your mind ready, prepare your minds for action because temptation's gonna come, but God's called you to be holy. So look back at what he's done, look out for temptation. Here's the third thing, and we'll hit this just real quick. Third thing that he says is that we need to look ahead. That we need to look ahead. Not just in the moment, but look beyond that. If you remember, we, we saw this. This is a theme all throughout First Peter that we focus on the future. He's writing to people who are struggling in the moment. It looks like that their life is, is not going to be getting any better and what he's saying to them is even though you're suffering, even though you're struggling, even though you may be being persecuted, look ahead because that's where your hope is. First Peter chapter one, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Man, there's a lot to talk about there and we'll actually get into this a little bit more as we continue to go through this book but here's what Peter wants them to know and just for the record, this hasn't changed so here's what Peter wants you to know. When Jesus Christ returns, all of our hopes will be fulfilled. So if you're struggling today, if you're suffering today, if you wanna know what the value of this life is today, how you live this life affects your eternal life and all of our hopes will be fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns. Jesus wanted us to keep this, this eternal mindset. So he says in Matthew chapter six, verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus says, look, your decisions, your choices, they're not made just based on what you feel right now. If you're like me, you have a tendency to look at the situation and go, what do I have to do right now? How do I stop this or start this or fix this or get what I want? And he says, look, your, your heart needs to be set on something further down, something that will last. Decisions made with a short-term view usually lead to actions with long-term ramifications. Decisions made with a short-term view usually lead to actions with long-term ramifications. Or maybe we could use the word consequences here, right? And I know this is true, and you've probably seen this to be true. I, I can look, I'm a little further down the road maybe than some of you, and, and maybe those of you that are with me or further than me, you can look back and you can go, yeah, there's some things I'd have done over differently. There's some things that I regret because I made decisions in the moment without considering the long-term consequences. Does that make sense? 
And so really, if you're here today, I, I would challenge you, and you're in junior high or high school or college, you're in those young adult years, boy, take this to heart. Because the decisions that you make now have long-term ramifications. And here's what I've seen in my life and I've seen in the lives of others. When we fail to look ahead, we usually fall behind. When we fail to look ahead, we usually fall behind. Now looking ahead's difficult because when I, when I look ahead with Jesus in mind, I'm looking at something that I cannot see. And oftentimes what I can see is what pulls and draws to me. So I have to look ahead with faith and trust in him. Because when we fail to look ahead, we usually fall behind. I, I have this tendency to, 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 to want to try to get stuff done and, and cram stuff in, and I'll do it in this way. I'll know I have to be somewhere at a certain time, and I know that in order to do that, I have to leave by a certain time, I have to get these things done before I get there, but I'll look at something and go, I, I want to get this done first. And I know that to get that done is gonna take 30 minutes, but I'm convinced I can do it in 10. Anybody else? And so I take that 30 minute job and I cram it into 10 minutes and it ends up taking me 55. Which then means that I'm running behind to get to where I need to go and what I need to go is actually the priority. It's more important, but I'm either gonna be late or I'm not gonna be ready or I'm gonna miss it because I was focused on something that didn't matter as much. We do this in life all the time. And when we fail to look ahead, we usually fall behind. This is why Peter says, look, friends, I want you to look back at what Jesus has done. I want you to look out, prepare your mind for that temptation. I want you to keep your eyes focused and look ahead on the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And then here's the fourth thing that he says. Then he asks them to look in. He wants them to look inside their own hearts and their lives. In fact, I would challenge you that Peter wants you to look at your own life today. Are you living a life that could be defined as holy? Verse 14 of 1 Peter chapter one. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. That, that word conform is a powerful word. It has the idea that there's pressure that's put on you that wants you to conform or fit or, or be squeezed into the mold that someone else has for you. you. You see this word conform just two times in the New Testament. You see it here in 1 Peter. You see it again in Romans chapter 12. Paul uses it in a very familiar verse. Listen to this, Romans chapter 12 verse two. says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see those two things there? The conforming and the, and the mind? Sounds like 1 Peter, doesn't it? He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And here's what both Peter and Paul are saying. They're saying, if you don't want to be conformed to the world around you, the one that pressures you at school and on the job and in your family and in the culture and with entertainment and your own desires, if you don't want to be conformed to that, then the way that you fight that is in your mind. Amen. You're transformed by your thinking. There's a, there's a translation of the Bible known as the J.B. Phillips translation. I like verse two of Romans chapter 12 in that. Let me read it to you from the Phillips version. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. You ever felt that? But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good 
meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. Here's what we see, that our lives must be shaped by the promises of God's word and not the pressures of this world. This is holiness. For some of us, and we'll, we'll do this before we're all done here today. For some of us, the most important thing that we can do is take some time and look in. How am I being affected by my peers? How am I being affected by the culture? Are my friends or my family or my job or my school, is it squeezing me into a mold that doesn't look like it's been set apart for a greater purpose? Do I look just like the world around me? Because if I do, then I'm really not glorifying God and accomplishing his purpose for my life. So as you go through these verses, you, you see Peter say you need to look back and you need to look out. He says you need to look ahead, but you also need to look in. But ultimately, if we're gonna live a holy life, ultimately it comes down to that we look up. Number five, I challenge you to look up and to look to God. Here's what Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. He says, but, and, and I think that's, that's a key word there, right? It's a little word, but it shows strong contrast. He's saying, not like the world, not like what you were, but instead, but just as he who called you is holy. God called you, he chose you, you matter to him. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. God himself said that he is holy, so he calls you to be holy. Why are you holy? Because you're not ordinary and you're not evil. If you are a child of God and he's called you, and I believe this, that if you can hear this message today, whether you're in this room or another room or watching this on a screen somewhere, that God has called you to be his. And if he's called you, then he desires for you to be holy because you're not ordinary. You have a greater purpose he set you apart. You're, you're the good stuff. Yes. Not because you're superior, but because he wants to work in your life. And he's called you to be holy because he's holy. But understand this. People will never want what you have until they see that it makes you different. If you're just like everyone and everything else, how are they gonna see what Jesus can do in your life? Nobody's gonna want what you have unless they see that you're different. Somehow, people have to know and see that difference in you. Now look, I'm not calling you to be Amish, okay? We're not all gonna drive the same buggy and dress the same way. But I will say this, if you are different, you're gonna be misunderstood. Because people may look at you and and think that you're strange. Now let me just pause here for just a minute. If people think that you're strange, make sure that it's because God has made you strange and not just because you are strange, okay? Is that all right? Like let's, let's, let's keep that in mind. But if you're gonna live a life that's holy in our world and culture, you're going to be misunderstood. Your priorities are gonna change from the world around you. 
Your sexual standards will be different and based on God's word. Your values of right and wrong will be unique. The way you spend your time, the way that you dress, your language. You're not gonna wanna just fit in or be one of the boys. You're gonna want people to see that Christ has made me different and I'm different because of that. I'm changed and I'm new and somewhere people will see that and they'll be challenged by that. And that's why Peter says, look, you, you may be persecuted. You may suffer. You may struggle. You may be misunderstood. But be holy because God is holy. It's this powerful thing. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. Ouch. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I think there's two things that are really important to note there. One is this. Here's what he's saying. He says, look, we have a God who is completely holy. Is there any sin in God? No, he's perfect. We have a God who is completely holy, and you and I are not. I mean, we've all sinned. Scripture says we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and there's no way for us to make that right, right? We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't, we're not just cute enough. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. That's what we had communion about. We remembered that today. That's that's what it's about. And then that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit cleanses us of our sins. He makes us holy. He changes us. So unless he makes us holy through his salvation work, until you receive that grace and make Jesus your Lord and Savior, you can't see the Lord. Does that make sense? Salvation only comes in that way. However, I think there's a whole nother angle to this that we need to consider, and it's this, that a lack of holiness leads to a warped perception of God. And and I think this is is clear in, in, in the lives of some people that I know. It's probably been clear in your life at some point. It's certainly clear in our culture that it says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, and a lack of holiness leads to a warped perception of who God is. Let me, let me I, I don't know, I wanna, I wanna try to help us understand this a little bit, so let me, let me paint kind of a little bit of a, paint kind of a little bit of a picture here for you. Does anybody like potato chips? Let me get a, just a praise God. Does anybody like potato chips? Yeah, I do, I do, and lunch is right around the corner. Sometimes, I just, I just like to, sometimes I just like to eat these things like by the bag full, amen? I mean, there's something awesome about just sitting on your couch with a bag of chips. I'm chewing my mouth open so you can hear it. Amen, sister. There's more where this came from. I'll be with you in just a minute because I gotta get rid of those little pieces. Sometimes you're just sitting there. It's even better if you can just sit on the couch. Help him, Lord, yes, home alone. (laughs) Eating those chips. Let's just be honest. Are these things awesome or not? Yes. They they will be in heaven. Are they good for you? No. No, they're not good for you at all. So only in heaven. Thank you, sister. 
I don't know. This might mess up your glorified body. I'm not sure. You got cholesterol, you got fat, you got the carbohydrates, you got the sodium. There's nothing good about this goodness. And then there's those times where you're just sitting on the couch thinking about eating the whole bag. Your mom walks in. She says, you're gonna ruin your appetite. There's my mom right there. She walks in. She says, you're gonna ruin your appetite. And I look my mom right in the eye and go, I don't care. (laughs) You're so good. I don't care. Your buddy calls you. What you doing? Eating chips. Dude, you know those aren't good for you. We gotta go to the gym. I don't care. That moment, this is all I want. You get up, because you gotta get another bag of chips. You look in the mirror, you see what those chips are doing to you. You run back over to the couch with your chips and say, I don't care. You know why? Because in that moment, this is all you see. And there's those times when your friend says to you, you know, you just don't seem like yourself. I'm a little concerned about you because I think maybe you're making some bad decisions. They've, they've spotted the effect that temptation's having on your life. Because sin's starting to, I don't know, change it a little bit. And you go, I don't care. Because all you see is that thing that you think you want so clearly in your hand. Then the voice of the Holy Spirit kind of comes in. God wants you to know that this is not good for you. But you have this warped perspective because you've pushed holiness out of the way. And so when that voice of conviction starts just kind of calling out to you, you just go, I don't care. In fact, I've known people who, who have looked at that, that thing that they think they want and they find a way to even justify it Say, well, God wants me happy, or or this is good, how could it not be right? Or God's a God of grace, he'll forgive me. And we hold on to this thing, and what happens is, and our culture does this, we we say that God is for things that God's really not for, according to his word. And And then we get messed up in that, because we're holding so closely to the thing that we think we want. See, without holiness, you won't see the Lord, so when you push holiness aside, you get this warped perception of God. Does that make sense? So here's my challenge to you. Some of you need to pull yourself together. And it's time to put down the chips. And be willing to say, get thee behind me, Lays, right? Because God, I've been called to a higher purpose than this. Well, Chad, you are no fun. Because I love my chips. Does God not want me happy? Does God not want me to enjoy life? Does God just want me to be boring and dull? Not at all. Understand this, holiness is not an existence of less pleasure, but a life of greater purpose. And see, what I've found in life is that when I choose holiness, I actually have more fun, because the fun I have comes without regret and guilt. And I get to enjoy the way God has designed pleasure to be enjoyed. 
I get to have life the way that God's designed life to have. See, holiness ultimately is about you enjoying God's very best for your life. It's not an existence of less pleasure, but it's a life of greater purpose. See, God's called you to be the good stuff. He's called you to live a life so that people will see him in you and have their lives changed. So where does holiness happen? Holiness means we control our desires instead of our desires controlling us. And we choose and say, God, I I give my everything to you. How does that happen? This is not a this is not a statement of I, I know people have different takes on Halloween and trick or treat or all these kinds of things. So please don't take this as a, wherever you land. Don't take this as any kind of a statement. I just want to note this: Have you noticed how much people like dressing up at this time of the year? We love to put on costumes. We love to dress up like something we wish we were, or pretend that we're something we're not. Right? Isn't that true? So some of the most, most popular costumes right now, you've got the Pokemon's a big deal, you've got uh, Star Wars, you've got superheroes, you've got princesses. One of the major things that's selling right now in Halloween costumes are political figures. Imagine that. I saw this, I saw this interesting little quote um, yesterday that said six years ago, no one would have ever imagined that the Cubs and the Indians would be in the World Series. Six years ago, no one would have ever imagined that either Hillary or Donald would be our next president. <laughs> it's interesting how things change. And in the midst of that, we, we look for things that we can hold on to. That's why these costumes are popular. We, 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 wanna, we wanna say, who am I like? What am I doing? What am I modeling myself after? Listen to what Peter says. He quotes in verse 16, God in Leviticus chapter 19. He brings the Old and New Testament together and he says, look, here's here's what I want you to see. God says, I want you to be holy because I'm holy. That's who I am. Ultimately, the peace and the joy and the satisfaction of living a life of greater purpose and holiness means this. At some point we say, God, I wanna be like you. And when you're challenged with what decisions to make, some things are right and wrong and they're hard to choose between. Some things are gray matters that we're not exactly sure what way to go. Here's the very best question you can ask yourself. Is this making me more like Jesus? Isn't that a great question? Jesus, does this make me more like you? Do I know you better as a result of this? So before I put this in my body or see this with my eyes or say these words or go to this place or start this relationship or think these thoughts, go on and on, the best question I can ask is this, Jesus, does this make me more like you? Because scripture says, God says that we are to be holy because he's holy and he wants us to be more like him. Not because he's trying to take your fun away, but because he's called you to a life of greater purpose. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Thanks, thanks for your patience while I ate those chips. <laughs> where are you looking? Because where you look will determine your direction. So for some of us, it's a good moment for us to look back and to be reminded as you kind of just search your own heart of what Jesus has done for you. And that if you truly have relationship with him, then your choices will be motivated by that relationship because of what he's done for you. For some of you, the most important thing you could have heard today was just look out. Temptation's coming your way. 
And God's calling you to fight that spiritual battle in the mind. To let him bring you victory in that place as you give your thoughts over to him. It's time to pull yourself together. For some of you, you, you've got to walk out of here talking to yourself, not listening to yourself. My hope is that some of you will recognize that there were decisions you were going to make based on the short term, and you've got to surrender that to God for the long term. In fact, I just, I just felt very strongly as I was praying in that last service that there, there are some people here in this message today that you're just about to make a bad decision. You're right on the edge of, of doing something that is completely based on today and not the future. And you're putting your family and you're putting your reputation and you're putting, um, you're putting your faith in a dangerous place. And the Spirit's calling you to look ahead. Some of you, as you look inside, you, you know that the Holy Spirit's highlighting for you that there's places where the world is squeezing you into its mold. And you're not so sure you look like you have a special purpose. It's time to look in and say, God, instead of being conformed, I need to be transformed, changed by you. For some of you, it's, it's a moment where God's spoken to your heart today. Maybe here in this room, or I really do believe for someone watching on a screen somewhere where he's saying, look, you can't do this on your own anymore. Today's the day that you need to pray just a simple prayer that says, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. And then I surrender my life to you. I make you my savior and my Lord. Today, you need to look up to him. And you can't have a conversation about holiness without at some point talking about repentance. That maybe it's time for a change to come to your life. We had a little fun, but very clearly, some of you need to put down the chips. You've let temptation and, and fear worry and doubt and just sin keep you from seeing God clearly and he's speaking to your heart today and saying it's time for you to set that down pull yourself together and make a commitment to live your life for me in fact I hope I, I hope Calvary you don't misunderstand what I'm about to say but I've prayed that, that God would make some of you miserable until you're willing to commit yourself completely to him Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the way that it speaks to us, that it challenges us. Holy Spirit, that you know how to with pinpoint accuracy minister to our hearts. Lord, may we choose a life of holiness, recognizing that we've been called by you to a special purpose that we would let the motivating question of our life be, how can I be more like Jesus? And may you use us to show your glory to the world around us as we live a life of holiness in front of you. Knowing that one day we're gonna have to stand before you. And we wanna hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we thank you for the way you speak to us. Now as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. 
would you send us out from here with your special favor and your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.